Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, presented by STBB. A conversation dedicated to answering your legal questions and a platform where our team of specialist attorneys share their expert advice and legal know-how with South Africans. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Legally Speaking. Today, we are going to be continuing from one of our previous episodes on labor law. Uh, Here today with us again is James Foxcroft, one of our experts in labor relations and labor law here at STBB. So last time we were here, we spoke about some of the misconceptions and common questions that people have regarding the Labor Relations Act, uh, retrenchment, retirement, and those sorts of things. Today, we want to go in a different direction and sort of focus on how does an employer protect themselves at the very beginning of an employment relationship? Here we're looking at things like the employment contract and an HR policy. So what would you say are some of the ways that an employer can protect themselves? Good afternoon. I'm going to take half a step back there, actually, um, because you talk about an employment contract as though it is a given. Uh, Oddly enough, and this is another misconception out there, it is not necessary to have an employment contract in writing between employer and employee. The only um, obligation in terms of our law is that the employer provides certain very basic written particulars of employment to the employee prior to a start date. Okay. That'll be very simple stuff like your salary, what what your hours are, where you're expected to work. But it's not an agreement. Okay? And I say that because very often I get asked or I get told by employees who are in battle with their employers that their employer has been very unfair because they've been working there, for example, for nine months, and the employer hasn't even bothered to give them an employment contract, to which my answer is, well, you're actually better off. So the employment contract actually protects the employer more so than it does the employee. If there is no employment contract, the terms and conditions of the relationship um, fall back on the basic conditions of Employment Act, and the employee is protected. Okay. Okay. So when we try, when we're looking at protecting the employer from certain things, the only place to do it, initially at the beginning of the employment relationship, is in that employment contract. So my advice to employers is always, always, always have an up-to-date, valid, lawful, enforceable contract in place. Although, naturally, in reality, if there is a written agreement in place, it's not only. It obviously, I'm going to go through why it assists the employer. But it's, it's important for the employee, but it's not an obligation of the employer to provide it. It's important for both parties because now we've got the terms and conditions of the, the relationship in clear and transparent black and white terms on a piece of paper. Um, so there can be no muddling later on, for example. So when we look at an employment contract and we look at a, look at a business, there's about five things we, we specifically go to in the employment contract um, to try and protect employers, Okay. The one we actually spoke about last week briefly was the retirement age. So we don't want employers to rely on this very subjective, vague clause of you can retire an employee at a normal retirement age, which is undefined. Mm -hmm. I want to see in the contract that says the parties agree that the employee will retire at 65 or, or whatever age it may be. Okay. That's a vital component and it very often isn't in an employment contract. Okay. But that might not protect the employer today with a 30-year-old employee, for example, but in 35 years, that employer will be very happy, potentially, yeah. that, that that agreement was made. Okay. And again, going back to what I said a minute ago, again, very clear, transparent terms. This is the nature of the relationship. This is how we're going to work going forward, and this is going to be the termination. 
Okay. You see how that's protecting the employer yeah. and it's making it clearer for the employee. Um, leave forfeiture is another classic one. Um, so by law, all employees in this country, a five-day employee, a Monday to Friday or Tuesday to Saturday employee, is entitled to 15 days annual leave per annum. Okay. Now that accrues. So if you take no leave in terms of our law, after two years, you've now accrued 30 days. Okay. It's not meant to be that way. And unfortunately, employees do utilize it as a, as a savings account because you could work for 10 years and accrue 150 days. Okay. But that creates a massive liability on the books of the employer. And the whole purpose of leave, and the reason why it's there and it's why, why it's in our legislation, is actually to give the employee an opportunity to recharge, take a holiday, and come back refreshed. Okay? Yeah. Because that naturally is going to promote efficiency. Okay? So without a leave forfeiture clause, employees can abuse that. Okay? And they can simply build and build and build. Okay? And moreover, never get that refreshment time that they yeah. need. Okay? But... And an employer doesn't want that liability accruing forever and ever. It, it might be okay with one or two employees in a very small business, um, but in a, in a company with 500 employees where you can't track them all, yeah. um, you know, it becomes difficult to handle. So what we normally say in an employment contract is that your annual leave must be used, which is the purpose of annual leave, yeah. in the year in which it accrued, or you can carry over, say, a week, okay, for a period of six months. So we look at it, this is, you can contract how, how you please, okay? But the point is, there, there has to be a clause which says, look, you've got to use it at some point in a reasonable time frame. And if you don't use it in that reasonable time frame, then you agree that it is forfeited, okay? So now, again, employee knows what the situation is, okay? Employee's getting his break, doing what the legislature provided for. Employer's happy because we haven't got this uncontrollable liability building up in his, in his balance sheet. Yeah. Notice, which we touched on last week as well, um, also very important. So there's a statutory minimum notice, and I'll just talk about a year after a year of service, which okay. in our law right. is four weeks. Okay. So if there's nothing written down, it's four weeks after a year of service. And I often see in contracts which I review very, very extended notice periods. So, for example, the parties agree that uh, either party may give six months written notice of termination okay now that's problematic on two levels one is when an employee resigns you're unlikely to get much loyalty or value out of that employee for the next six months that employee has terminated the relationship for a reason yeah and is going elsewhere okay so holding that employee to six months is problematic okay i won't say that's in all cases but that's sort of human nature okay second of all when you retrench an employee so let's say we're a year down the line, suddenly business is bad now, we have to retrench, it's a fair retrenchment. Uh, you remember last time we spoke about severance pay, yeah. but the employee is also entitled to that notice. Now you're in dire straits, the company is sinking, okay? and now you look at all your employment contracts and they all say six months notice. Now you've got to pay out that six months. Okay? And just consider the liability there. So a 50,000 rand a month employee on six months notice is 300,000 rand mm. notice, okay? purely because it's, it's too much. There's too much notice provided for in the contract. Yeah. Multiply that by 10 employees. So it's a very small business, okay, but that's now a 3 million rand notice cost upon retrenchment. And it's unlikely for a small company like that going under that it can afford that. So I always say it's, it's, it's a vital component that you look at the notice clause and you provide 
either the bare minimum, okay, or what is operationally required. And I've never actually come across a case of more than about two months. It's important to sort of preempt a possible negative effect in the future. Okay. And if it's not done correctly at the beginning, it's going to hurt in the future. If I can jump back to just what you said now, when you're reviewing and drafting these contracts, are there any other things that you look for? Bonuses, um, very important. There needs to be a stipulation that, that bonuses are discretionary. Generally, in this country, we have two types of bonuses. Okay, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking law here. I'm talking about practice. Okay, okay. so we talk about a thirteenth check. Okay, and that's very often contract. It's, it's in the contract, and you're guaranteed a thirteenth check. Okay. And then we talk about bonuses. Now, bonuses, in general, we mean at the end of the year, the business has done well, and the employer has a discretion to award a gift. Now, the problem is, if it is not stipulated that that gift is discretionary, and it's upon the whim or at the whim of the employer in December every year or whenever it may be, okay, if an employee receives that gift and exactly the same amount of gift every year, year after year after year after year, okay, there's case law that says, well, that has now become a term and condition of employment. It's almost a tacit agreement. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Okay. So very important in the employment agreement to state, okay, that you do or you don't get a 13th check, as the case may be, and that's black and white. That's, that's objective. Okay. But in the case of a, a gratuity or discretionary bonus, it remains in the discretion of the employer. So that's bonus. And the last thing we look at quite carefully um, is confidentiality and restraint of trade. Common misconception out there that restraint of trade is unlawful. It is not unlawful. It is certainly lawful. Okay, it's a contractually binding agreement. I understand why there is that misconception, yeah. because in a in a country such as ours, with a constitution which says you have a, a right to work, you now by restraining yourself in an employment agreement, you're effectively waiving your constitutional right. That's an, a discussion for another day. The point is, is that the restraint is lawful, okay? The question is, how enforceable is it, okay? And that's something that we look at very carefully um, and according to current trends in case law. So I'll give you an extreme example. If I see a restraint of trade, and I have seen this, which says, if your employment is terminated for whatsoever reason, okay? So whether you resign, whether you're retrenched, whether you're dismissed, you agree not to work in the world for a period of five years, okay? While that's lawful, it would, a court would never enforce that. Yeah. It makes no sense. Okay? General rule of thumb, the more specific, the more enforceable. Okay. So I would, ex- I would expect to look at a restraint and say, well, how much restraint do you need? Do you need it you know, in, a, in, in, in a small area, in a suburb? Do you need it in the whole country? Okay, because the more specific it is and the, the lesser it is in terms of duration, um, the, the more likely a court is going to enforce it. And there's no point trying to protect yourself with something that is lawful but unenforceable. Okay. So, I mean, in essence, those are, those are the five areas in a standard employment contract where an employer can protect him or herself going forward right at the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. And if you don't, if those aren't on the table, it does create chaos. So following on from our uh, discussion on contracts in the beginning of the relationship, uh, what can an employer do about an existing contract? Law of contract would apply. So a contract is, is an agreement between two parties. Once they've agreed, they've agreed. So one party can't unilaterally change the agreement. So in an employment scenario, if an employer wanted to, for example, add or amend the contract to put put in one of the five checks and balances that I've just just mentioned, um, the employer 
is within his rights to approach the employee and say, look, I'd like to amend this. And if they agree, we amend the contract. Okay. Okay. If not, it remains as is. It must be by agreement. All right. Dif- different from a policy. Okay. So on the, on the note of policy there, um, how do employers navigate around internal HR policies and how does that interplay with the contract or an agreement between the employee and employee? Okay, so the contract will always be the first port of call when looking at what governs the relationship. Okay, The contract will almost invariably say that the employee agrees to bind himself to the company's policies or HR policies or disciplinary code or whatever it might be called. Okay, Now that is, is a company rule book, so to speak. Okay, So that's things that are specific to each and every company. So how we will treat late coming, where you must park, smoking policies, um, all that type of thing, okay? But those are, those are rules, those are not agreements, okay? And, and it's important that those are unilaterally put in place by the employer, possibly after consultation with its employees, but not necessarily, okay? So you have this rule book, which probably has been developed since the inception of the company. Now consider, for example, the rule book of XYZ Company, which was incorporated back in 1970, long before I was born. It's going to refer to practices and laws and labor laws, okay, that existed prior to our current act, okay, and this often crops up. So employment contracts are reviewed all the time, or they're looked at all the time, because they're, a company's continuously using those documents, okay. But policies, not necessarily. They will change them. But the policy documents that I've, I come across okay, can be horribly old. I'll give an example. So 30 years ago, roughly prior to 1997, which is um, the year of our Labor Relations Act, probation meant a lot in our law. And if somebody was on probation, you could simply terminate unilaterally. Okay? A policy is like, from 1970 is going to say that. Yeah. Okay? But that is completely um, in conflict with our current law. Okay, so now you've got a policy that might say something. You might believe what it says is correct because your previous ex-co or bosses or managing director, you know, drafted this policy, so it yeah. must be, and, and you and you and you run with it. Okay, but what we've got there is a policy that is out of date. Okay, is in conflict with the law, is therefore unlawful, and in fact is quite dangerous to anybody reading that policy. Okay. It doesn't matter that it says something unlawful. If it's unlawful, it's unlawful. It has no weight. So vital to make sure that your policies occasionally are checked with current law. Law doesn't, and I'm not saying every day or every month, law doesn't necessarily move or it never moves terribly quickly, but it does change. And it has changed, certainly in labor law, it has changed a lot in the last um, 30 years or so. So on the one hand, while it's vital to have a valid agreement in place, a valid employment contract that protects the employer, as I said, and provides transparency to both parties, um, objectifies the agreement between the parties, okay? It's because there's an ancillary document below that employment contract being the policies. It makes no sense not to make absolutely certain that that is in line with the law. The last thing we want is two conflicting documents in court, where we're relying on the one, for example, employment contract, because we've, 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 we've got that perfect, but our policy says something completely different. Okay. So it's very important for companies and employers just to review those very regularly, I imagine. Would you say annually? I'd say on an annual basis. Okay. So for all the employers who have been listening, 
and who have heard these misconceptions and now are aware that maybe your policy does need a review, uh, please feel free to contact James at labor at stbb.co.za. Legally speaking, this podcast has come to an end. Thanks for joining the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing, visit us at stbb.co.za for more info.